Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus had set his sight on Jerusalem. He was going to the place where the prophets are killed. He was going there to serve as the sacrificial lamb to take away the sin of the world. He knew his purpose. He knew why he was sent from his heavenly father. Now that time is drawing near. For a third time, Jesus tells his disciples what is about to happen. And any Sunday school child can tell you what Jesus did when he came in the flesh and why he came. That Jesus came to die on the cross and he rose from the grave to give us eternal life and salvation to take our sins away. Now, as we teach our children these glorious truths, we are tempted to sanitize the account. Recall the first time I had to teach preschoolers about the crucifixion of Jesus to a group that had not really heard much about that yet. We don't often go into much detail about what Jesus endured leading up to his death. We sometimes talk about the great pain that is endured as a person is being crucified. But even when we try to explain how Jesus suffered, or if we encourage a person to watch, watch the passion of the Christ, what we still do not see in this is how harsh it was for Jesus to be forsaken by his heavenly Father because he was now being held accountable for bearing the world's sin in his body. Jesus told his disciples, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished, for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day, he will rise. Jesus, an Israelite, a Jew of whom there is no guile, was betrayed by his own. He was put on a false trial by a government that should protect him. He was beaten and mocked in horrific ways, demonstrating the debased nature of the human mind. Jesus was then bloodied to a pulp. He was forced to carry his cross. He was nailed to that cross. He then died on that cross as they continued to deride him and mock him. And when he died, they figured that his disciples will try to stage a resurrection. And so they knew the best thing to do would be to seal that tomb shut so that nobody could enter into it again. Good thing we are more enlightened than those backward thinkers. Good thing we have a stronger moral compass than those savages of the first century, right? 
And why do false witnesses still lie in the courts? Why do children still bully other children? Why do fights not only break out on the playground, but also in boardrooms at executive meetings? Why do, why do people think the solution to solving their various woes is found in death? Like they were trying to do with Jesus. Get rid of him. Kill him. Why are surgeons so ready to permanently disfigure our children under the guise of age-appropriate gender-affirming procedures? Why has it become so sacred for a woman to have the right to abort her babies, killing the highest blessing that God grants in this life? Why do we think athletes getting drunk in front of children should be excused for having a good time? On these matters, we have the clarity of Scripture. God teaches clearly what is right and what's wrong. Our trouble is that we do not want to listen. We figure the enlightenment of our age, the wisdom of all these bright minds around us in the world, offer greater insight and understanding than God would. On some matters, we think that we understand things better than any generation that has gone before us. As we say, well, all the cultures of the world for thousands of years were all wrong. Let's redefine marriage. Let's even take it a step further and just decide that marriage is unnecessary. So that way we can wink at fornication. And let's even, inside of God's house, turn the divine service into our own plaything, butchering the liturgy and incorporating the latest technological trends in what should be God's holy sanctuary. We then have to ask, are we really any less arrogant than those who boldly shouted, crucify him, crucify him? Or perhaps many are like the disciples. In today's gospel, St. Luke reports that they did not understand the things that Jesus had told them, that they were hidden from their eyes. They didn't get what Jesus was about to endure. This was so even though Jesus very clearly pre predicted his passion, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. This was the third time in which he does so. Even though the Old Testament had prophesied, this is why Jesus has come. And even though that this is the real reason why God sent his only begotten son into the world in the first place, as he had promised to Adam after he had sinned. And that gets us to an important point. Grace is not easily understood. Now, our church uses the one-year lectionary, and so it varies a little bit than the three-year lectionary. And so two weeks ago, we heard that grace is undeserved when we heard the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Last week, we heard that grace is passively received when we heard the parable of the sower. And now, 
we learn that this grace of God is not easily understood. To consider this, let's first remember what grace is. Grace is God's favor toward us, which is not deserved. Despite our sin and rebellion, out of God's grace, he loves us. He keeps us as the apple of his eye. He sent his son Jesus to pay for our sins so that we can be reconciled to God our Father and that we can obtain the gift of eternal life. Our sins demonstrate that we do not deserve this gift of salvation. Our sins that we commit, the temptations that we continually face, show that we deserve temporary punishment and eternal death for our sins. But out of God's grace, he forgives us and he reconciles us to our Father in heaven. He declares us to be innocent and righteous. He justifies us. He adopts us into his family by the waters of holy baptism. He loves us unconditionally and covers us with the very righteousness of Jesus. It is by grace that though our sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. It is by grace that God has removed our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. It is by grace that God has worked his faith in us by his Holy Spirit so that we believe that which we cannot fully understand. People commonly misunderstand grace because either they don't want anything that's given to them for free. I recall when I was growing up, my hometown, the Lions Club, wanted to have an appreciation pork chop dinner. They always drew a huge crowd when they charged for the pork chop dinner, but this time it was free. They were prepared for a larger crowd than ever, and they had the smallest crowd that they've ever had because people just don't want things for free. And so it's hard to understand that God would actually give us this grace for free. Many wrongly think that they can earn their way into heaven, that that's how they should obtain God, through their good intentions, through their good works, by finding a way to pacify the wrath of God on their own, not recognizing that Jesus has already done it for them. We have to recognize that the Bible is, is very clear. It is my prayer that you will see that as you read through the Gospels and the Epistles during Lent this year. Like Advent, I encourage you to read the Gospel of Matthew during the days of Advent. This year, I'm encouraging you during Lent to read either uh, additional Gospels or Epistles. All of that is found in your bulletin, a reading guide for this uh, season of Lent that is coming upon us. As you read these, there will be some things that you might not find to be the clearest. But despite that, we have to recognize that the clearest author ever in the history of the world is God the Holy Spirit. We cannot blame God or the Bible when Christians disagree on its interpretation. Instead, we must understand and recognize that the fault lies with those who will not hear what the scriptures are, are truly saying. When we find portions of scripture to be unclear, we need to look at its context and look at passages of scripture 
that also speak on those same matters to gain clarity from what it is saying. What this means is that when we read the Bible, we can't just do so with a casual reading, but it requires submitting ourselves to the Word of God and praying that God would illumine our hearts so that we gain a greater understanding. It's tempting to take passages like Psalm 5.5, God hates all evildoers, and say, nah, 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 that's not the case. We don't agree with that. It's too harsh. We have to cover those words up. But what we must do is recognize that this is a true statement of the law. That is what the law says about our sin and who we would be if we remain under the condemnation of the law. But in Christ, by God's grace, he no longer counts us as evildoers, but he reckons us as workers of righteousness. Jesus' words were clear when he told them of his passion for the third time. As I already said, any Sunday school child can understand it. Yet what Jesus said was not understood by the disciples at that time. Why not? Obviously, they were sinners, and sin clouds our judgment. Also, they probably grew up with the common understanding of the day, and that was the Messiah is supposed to come, they thought, to give them an earthly king and bring about independence from the foreigners who ruled over them. Of course, they had difficulty grasping the thought of Jesus suffering in that way because they knew his innocence. They loved him deeply. And finally, it was God's will for the Holy Spirit chose to give them clarity of these matters when Jesus rose from the dead. In the same way, clarity of understanding God's word does not come about through our own abilities, but it is granted by God the Holy Spirit. The more we are in the word, the more we understand it. The more we hear it expounded, the greater clarity we have for God the Holy Spirit is at work in that word. And so as we read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the word by God's grace, our wisdom and understanding increases, and so does strength to withstand the various assaults against God's word. The world will continue to mock the word. Our flesh even will recoil against this word of God. And Satan seeks to bring doubt into our hearts as he had done with Eve in the garden. It is easy to be led astray by these various temptations, first by figuring that the word must not be clear and then seeking clarity outside of God's word. Then we conclude the scriptures must have it wrong. And then the next thing we know, we're drifting away from the Christian faith. Instead of giving in to these temptations, let's be like the blind man, which Mark 10 verse 46 identifies as Bartimaeus. Despite his inability to see, he could see Jesus through the eyes of faith. When he learned that Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, that's from Bethlehem. Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. How did the blind man know who this guy is? Of course, he heard the word and he believed it and gave a good testimony of that which he had been taught. When the crowds rebuked him 
trying to silence him because he thought he was being a bother to Jesus. Did he cower away from it? Did he say, oh, I guess this isn't a place for me to be invoking the name of Jesus? No, instead, he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. He refused to let anything separate him from his Savior, and that is faith. He not only had some head knowledge about Jesus, but blind Bartimaeus clearly saw his Savior and trusted in Jesus by faith. When our trust in Jesus is like that of the blind man's, we do not worry about what others will think about our faith. We will not let them silence us. We won't put our head down and try to blend in with the crowd. We'll gladly be that noisy one crying out to Jesus. The conventional wisdom of our age is to refrain from talking about the Christian faith, especially in public. We're taught not to bring it up at work because we might lose our jobs as if that's more important than salvation. We're taught not to bring it up at public schools since God has been removed from them. We're taught not to bring it up among our friends because it might just reveal divisions that we have. But Bartimaeus, on the other hand, leads us by example. Instead of listening to those who would keep him to or keep his mouth shut, he opened it even more. He knew that Jesus offered something that no one else could give. And so while he was praying to Jesus to regain his sight, our Lord mercifully granted not only his ability to see with his eyes, but also granted to him that glorious saving faith. And Jesus declared to him, not your faith has made you well, as our translation says, but your faith saves you. And, the, and Bartimaeus followed Jesus, glorifying God all, but, all by grace. The same Savior has come into your midst. He has had compassion on you. He forgives you. And just as Jesus rose bodily from the grave, he promises that you too, on the last day, will rise bodily you will be whole and perfect in every way, and you will dwell with him to all eternity. Heaven awaits you, and there your praises will never come to an end, and there will be no one to silence you in your singing of what the Lamb of God has done for you and for your salvation. Jesus has paid for your sins. He lives, and so shall you. Thanks be to God. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen. We invite the singing saints to sing. <laughs>